What time does the 7 o'clock meeting start? 7 o'clock. So welcome to Position of Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. A couple things I want to go through tonight. Um, how many of you are members in the room tonight? Good deal. Thank, thank you. Thanks for being here. How many of you are family members of members? Uh, good deal. Thank you. Thank you for coming to support these men and women. How many of you are graduates of New Freedom coming back? Wow, look at that. I like you guys that are members to pay attention to how many graduates of this thing. They, they were mentored on the yard just like you. They came here and went through all the trial and tribulations just like you, but they're out there killing it because... So, uh, some other housekeeping measures. On this Saturday, Chaplain Lee is doing our, one of our quarterly baptisms. So if you have not ever been to a New Freedom baptism, regardless of your faith belief, um, your brothers and sisters are publicly displaying their faith belief. And it's, it's a it's celebratory moment for them, so you're welcome to come for that. It's pretty powerful. People come stand on the balconies and they and we do it in the pool in the main atrium with the waterfall and uh, it's, it's a powerful moment if you want to get with chap he's still letting people he's got some space so don't let chap get out here tonight if you guys and any of your family members you're all included anyone in this community that wants to come you can we do a Saturday recovery church group every Saturday this Saturday it'll be in the atrium because of the baptism so you'll come in the main entrance but every other Saturday, you come in this entrance just like this. Come in at 6.15, just like you do for PON. Your family's welcome to come hang out. And then we do service on Saturday. We do this on Thursday. And then, just because I'm talking to graduates, and I'm talking to new members, and I'm talking to family members, and it's almost impossible to ignore the difficulties and the attacks New Freedom has been under, we... We're going to be talking about the freedom step tonight. We're going to be talking about steps eight and nine. And so when you really get ready to dig in and grow spiritually, we have a phrase we'd like you to remember. What the cup says is shit just got real. <laughs> so what that means to those of you who have been following our progress is that we do have an agreement with the OIG. It's just waiting signatures. We're... Uh, we're we're flowing and we're good and we got a plan for stabilization and to all of those out in the community that need to know that we're, their acceptance letters are good and have we worked it out with ADCRR corrections? Um, not yet, but they, they just don't know we haven't worked it out with them yet because we're coming. Because we, uh, I do want you guys to know if you don't know about us, the men and women come here willingly, they're not mandated here. And, and they get programmed rigorously, so they actually earn their space here and they earn their freedom here. And I want to tell you something, all other programs up to this point are registering about a 40% efficacy. New freedom from the time we opened our doors, if you graduate from here, you've got a 99% chance of not going back. And if you just come here, you still got a 90% chance. 
Can I get an amen? Amen. So tonight we're going to take a look at steps eight and nine. I'll tell you the story of these cups eventually throughout the deal. Didn't know we were going to do this, but, but as we start talking about going and doing things we don't want to do in order to subordinate the ego to the spirit, which is what the ninth step is about, I'm going to hold up the cup and I'm going to ask you to say, shit just got real. And then as we get on through it, can I get an amen? Guys, we're going to talk about the freedom step tonight. What we do here is we take a look at the shared experience of the authors and we encourage you to find your experience in it. And what I want you to know, if you've been in 12-step recovery and struggled for years, maybe no one's ever told you the truth about what 12-step recovery is. And these people tell you precisely how they recovered and that's why we use this book. It's their testimony. We don't alter it. We just illuminate it so we can find ourselves within it. Does that make sense? So we're going to start on page 76 of the book. And we've just said a prayer and an amen, right? Take away my, what, take all of me, good and bad. Remove from me all the things that stands in the way of my usefulness, whatever prayer you said. And then we're in the middle of the page and it says, now we need more action. You're good. You're quick studies. There you go. Without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at, look at steps eight and nine. So you know why? Because half of them were atheists or agnostics, but they used biblical reference. That's a reference from the book of James. And faith without works, they weren't trying to teach you a new theology. They're just saying for people who have struggled with addictive disorder, I have to prove the power to me through me. And I can't be one and done, because I was never one and done with the dope man. So I've got to continually improve consciousness, prove the power to me, through me. And I do that by getting fit enough to serve and then serving. And so this is the process by which we get fit enough to serve so that we can enter into the big amends, which is step 12. Does that make sense? Okay. So... It says, we have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. Any of you have such a list? Where'd you get it? They said, we made it when we took inventory. Why did I call that to your attention? Because rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. We're going to find our experience along this process. At first, first, the path is the process, and eventually, as we grow in it, the path is the power. Right? Okay, all right, so, so we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. How many of you have taken a fourth step and found it drastic? How many of you contemplating it thought, damn, that was drastic? <laughs> the thing about the fourth step is there are no secrets in the realm of the spirit. So the only one who's awakening to who you have been is you. Right? God already knew, and yet here he is. And the other human being knows, because the same God that's showing him to you is working in him or her. Okay. So, says, so now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. 
We attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and do the, run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. The authors start to get more and more emphatic here, guys. Willingness is divine power. If I had the willingness to just do the next right thing, as I hear, then I would have done it before I torched the house. I would have done it before I lost everything multiple times. The willingness did not dwell in me until I encountered power who expressed itself through me. Does that make sense? So if I'm not willing, that doesn't mean I'm flawed. That means I'm human, and I'm going to have to ask for it until it comes. And willingness is a sensory experience. How many of you have found yourself empowered to do things that you had refused to do in the past? How many of you just were convicted and ran and did it? Like you saw somebody, heard them speak, and you, I need to talk to that person. That person can tell me something I need to know that I never knew. And so you didn't ever go grab them out of a crowd, but you grabbed them and said, will you help me? Any of you had that experience? And how many of you sat with that same person and said, I just can't do it. I just can't do the progress. And they said, sure you can. Break out your phone, let's go. I'm looking right at you. <laughs> the willingness was in you, but you didn't see it. But you felt it. Okay. You got it. Got it. <laughs> willingness is divine power. Sometimes we have to ask, and then we've got to, got to run, right? So if we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. With whom did we make that agreement? The power found within. So I might want to keep that promise given that I'm still on the right trajectory. Yes? Okay. So probably there are still some misgivings. So they go right back to my doubt. Any of you plagued with doubt? Delivered through just crazy stuff that you watch a lot of people just not get delivered through. And yet you've been delivered through it over and over again, and then something else comes up, and you're like, oh, fuck. Here we go. Any of you ever had that happen? So that's what we call misgivings, right? As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel different about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. How many of you have taken a look at the list you created in four? Thought, I can't go to those people. Any of you? Okay. So it says, let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. So the idea is you're going to make numerous approaches in order to get free from your tether to whatever that bad experience was. But you don't have to go to them and, and make a spiritual statement on the first approach. Have you ever met the guy that's forever sorry as they go out to do it again? Have you ever been that guy, right? So that we have no credibility in that, right? We don't even believe it ourselves. So why go talk to them about that until they can tell from the way we're living that something's different? Does it make sense? And then they'll ask, and then we can tell them what's different. Yes? Okay. So I said we might prejudice them. At the moment, we're trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. 
Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. So this is the fitness step. A lot of people duck eight and nine. They, they think, you know, a lot of people say, what's the worst step? Where do you lose people? So, well, number one, there's really not 12 steps. It's all-inclusive manner of living. They just broke it down because of our limited grasp of what's happening. Right? So, so what we need to understand is there's really seven levels of consciousness that are described in this book, and they're broken out through these promises. They call them ninth-step promises or first-step promises, but they're levels of consciousness. Okay? So we're trying to get to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. That's a good time for... There you go. There you go. So it's seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we've gone religious. We just had that discussion. Why, right? Hey, man, i out there looking for God. Sure sorry about your stereo. Yeah, dude, while you're out there looking for God, did you happen to find my fucking stereo? Different approach, right? Okay. So... In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? How many of you had that sort of a thought? Some people that are already, you know, in a church family that doesn't come to them, but those of us that come from a more atheist or agnostic or what, you know, we're like, I don't want to be like those people. (laughs) Any of you? Okay. So they put a question mark so we can question our own thinking. Right? This is what they had to do. Right? I don't want fear of how you're going to perceive me to block me from becoming a better me. So I need, to, I need to question my thoughts, not your thoughts. I got no control over either one, but I got a better shot at captive, capturing mine. Okay? All right, so we may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. How will they know I have a sincere desire to set right the wrong. Yeah, I'll be following up, won't I? I'll have a plan. Okay, I'll probably have a little different language about me, too. I won't be spinning what happened. I'll be straight. I did that. It was selfish of me. It was dishonest of me. You did not deserve that. What can I do to make it right? Right? Okay. So he's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. That's good. You guys are getting good at this. We're going to introduce a whole bunch more chants before long. 2023 is going to be epic, chap. I'm going to send them to you. They ain't going to know what room they're in. They're going to start doing shit just got real on Saturday. When it'll serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. What's that look like? How many of you just really got delivered? And you knew. You just knew that you knew that you knew. Something's vastly different. And I know, I mean, I'd love to take credit, but I I can't take any credit. I'm just telling you that I have been changed. There you go. That's what you're after. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we've done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we're still not too keen about admitting our own faults. 
Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. So what are they talking about in that metaphor? Any of you ever been around livestock? What happens when the animal gets the bit in the teeth? The animal's going to go where it wants to go. So they're not telling us we control people, but we do control situations. We bring about conversations. Yes? Okay. So it's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. Don't misinterpret that. That's a discovery that happens somewhere in your walk. I heard for years in fellowship, go to the hardest one first. That's not what they said. That's not what they said. In fact, they laid out a whole book telling you to go to the wife, to the family, to the employer, get a circle of support around you as you grow in the spirit. You're going to find eventually the one you were never going to do, you'll be empowered to go do, and then you'll know that the power you've been praying to is real, and you'll get free. And that's the, they're talking about it later. They're prophesying an experience in the future. Does that make sense? Okay. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. So how does one get in a helpful and forgiving spirit? Yeah, why do you think they taught us about prayer and meditation first? If I go to them in a spirit of grievance, that's what's going to present. But if I go to them in a helpful and forgiving spirit, then whatever I think they've done to me, is going to be subordinated to the spirit. And I hopefully have a new perspective because I looked at the truth in an inventory. Yes? Okay. So under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell them we'll never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the past. We're there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. I went through all that to show you how many times they said the same thing differently. How many of you had a little trepidation in making an approach to someone you needed to make amends to? Especially one that did you harm. They're talking about the man we hated. And he may well have done something you didn't deserve, he or she. But can I stay tethered to that hate and be an instrument of love? Logic would tell me no, right? So I've got to let go of that spirit of bondage, that spirit of grievance, because it's tethering me to an unpleasant time, and that's not what I want to be now, right? In fact, that's not what I am now, but I've got to improve consciousness, okay? So it says, if, if our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. So there's a promise and a condition. What was the promise? Calm, frank, and open. How many of you have made an approach for an amends? Probably hope, a lot of you, right? Would you describe how you were feeling as calm? No. Hell no. But my manner was calm because I knew for the purpose I was there and I knew the power in which I stood before them. So my manner being calm doesn't mean this is an easy experience because shit just got real. You're going to have to take captive the ego, empower the spirit, and go deliver that which they're entitled to, which is my honest apology for my part and my desire to do better in the future. I mean, if it's sincere, they'll know, because truth has a feel. Does that make sense? All you guys that came from a prison yard know that, because you intuitively knew people didn't have to tell you who they were, did they? 
fact, if they did tell you who they were, they may not be that. Truth is self-evident. Light is self-evident. Guys, no one has to announce the lights are coming on. Turn the fucking lights on. <laughs> Everyone will know. Okay. So it says, in nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we're calling upon admits his own faults, so feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. So claim the word rarely. It means rarely. And my guess is what will happen most of the time is you'll make satisfactory progress and you'll be good because you'll feel a little relief. But there are some, especially family stuff, where they just say, look, you've done this for me a thousand times. Just get out of my life and stay out. And so you'll think no progress has been made, but the power to honor their request will change their perception of you in time. Does it make sense? So... So you just need to know what these guys are talking about. So it says that it should not matter. Oh, wait a minute. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we're doing and wish us well, and occasionally they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. That doesn't mean if later they're ready to talk to me that I don't owe them the same approach I was going to give them. I just got to give them the space to see a different me. And in the meantime, I've got a whole world of brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, that I've got to go out and uplift. So I don't need to keep bugging them because they'll change in time. Yeah? Okay. So the next phase is interesting. They, they're masters of understatement, the authors. It says, most alcoholics owe money. Most addicts of any stripe owe money. But let's go further. We do not dodge our creditors. How many of you have been in recovery a little while and you didn't read that little clip <laughs> for a minute? And, you, and then you start ducking the mail and ducking the phone, and, right? But we said we wanted to be free, right? Okay. So tell them what we're trying to do. We make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. How many of you discovered that little factoid? How many of you thought you were very clever with your addiction? Shh, nobody knows. Most people know before we know, and when they find out we know, they are relieved. Trust me on that. Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory that it may cause financial harm. They're not talking about the fact that I now know I'm alcoholic. That may well cause me financial harm, and it needn't be shared with everybody for just because I've just, someone told me to go tell the world, because they're not required to understand what that means. They're not even required to have any empathy for me and the, the destruction that I've lived through because of it. But people who suffered as a part of that destruction are entitled to know that I know. Does that make sense? So they're entitled to know that I shouldn't have trashed your apartment and skipped the rent. That was dishonest and selfish of me. You did not deserve that. Does that make sense? But not, everyone else doesn't need to know all that. It will cause you financial harm. So... Step into the spirit and let people know that need to know. I'll tell you what, we clean up fast. People don't know 
a lot of our histories when they meet us after we cleaned up a little bit, and it doesn't take very long. But they knew, <laughs> some bitches knew when we were running, didn't they? <laughs> we're the only ones that didn't know this. All right. Yeah, those booking photos where the hair is all standing up, looking like you do. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> okay. So approaching this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we're sorry. So how would I let them know? My, my demeanor would probably indicate that, and they, I probably would say it, right? That's right. So our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. That's why I called your attention to the job we all do when we first get new in recovery and we start ducking things. How many of you had some back taxes to pay? How many of you haven't filed taxes in years stacking wreckage on wreckage because I don't want them to find out about that other shit? <laughs> there are no secrets in the realm of the spirit and there are no secrets in the IRS, let me tell you. <laughs> um, find you somebody to help you walk through that nonsense, Brian. <laughs> right under the bus. Do you hear that loud thump? That was Brian. Perhaps we've committed a criminal offense which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. That's good for this crowd, perhaps. <laughs> we may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We've already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we're sure we'd be in prison and lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried but haven't kept up on the alimony number one. She's indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. So I, they went through a bunch of scenarios, and one of the things we do badly in recovery is we don't take captive our own thoughts. We think this book is how the rest of the world should behave. Nope, this is a book on how if I will try and behave, it won't trouble me how the rest of the world behaves. So I'm trying to find myself in these reparations, and if you've never been married, then you probably don't have a wife you've got to worry about. And if you've never, you know, but... But the reality is all of us got something going on because we don't ever, not any one of us ever gets to recovery on a winning streak. Right? So they go into that now, although these reparations take innumerable forms. So as many people as read this book, that's how many forms these reparations might take, which is why we're going to have to consult the spirit. I know people rely on their human that they call their sponsor, but the sponsor doesn't know the reparation. The spirit knows the reparation. All the sponsor's going to do is point you back to the power. Right? Okay. So there are some general principles which we find guiding. So here's the general principles. Reminding ourselves we deci we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. How many of you need that reminder from time to time. What is the goal of 12-step recovery? Yeah, a lot of people think the goal is abstinence, which is unsustainable for guys like me. And, and you'll hear we celebrate abstinence in our fellowships. And we, you could come to our fellowships, not know our program, and sit there for years thinking, as long as I ain't drinking, it's good. Because I hear it. It's absolute nonsense. And if you are anything like me, you won't be able to sit there long. But i got to remind myself periodically that I need to find this power to live within me and awaken to it on the regular. 
So all of my 12-step service is an effort to seek, improve, maintain a spiritual experience, resulting in awakening as the result of these steps. Yes? Okay. So we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what personal consequences may be. You see why we want to go inward? In the last analysis, it's only there that he may be found. In order to do the right thing, I'm going to have to consult the spirit. People want to help, but they don't know. They know their experience, maybe, if they've done enough work. Okay? We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. How many of you found that you had to go do something that was hard? Did you find that you were willing and people were amazed by your courage? And there was a peace on you that it didn't feel like courage. It was extraordinarily impactful to the people who watched you go through it, but it was almost surreal to go through it. Who am I talking to? Some of you, yeah, because you can feel it, right? I can feel you feeling it. That's what willingness feels like. I'm okay. I'm yielded. It's going to be all right either way. If I got to go minister over there, then that's what I'm going to go do. Amen. Not with this, but with these. Okay. So we must not shrink at anything. Usually, however, other people are involved. So now they're going to talk about the mysterious others. And that's another place where in our fellowships will confuse people. I've heard people say, you are others. That's absolute nonsense. You're you. The whole fucking story's about you. How many columns you want? And then there's a column about others. And those are the people I never considered when I went out to get what I wanted. And I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says, therefore, we're not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried because of resentment and drinking. He had not paid alimony to his first wife. Did you hear that? Any of you ever get sober and have some entanglements you left behind? And then you got that letter? Saying they want, they want your money? Did you have someone explain to you that it ain't your money they want? It's their money they want. Right? Okay. So, but because of resentment and drinking, he had pushed it, right? So down inside, he knew, right? Okay. So she was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, so the manner of living described in here. He had encountered AAs. They had encountered power with him, and they had started him through his disciplines of inventory and prayer and meditation and serving. Yes? And had secured a position. So he'd got him a job. Probably wasn't much of a job because how many of you had to take not so good a job and were damn glad to get it when you? Yeah, I know a lot of you, right? 50 cents an hour or if you're lucky. Or, um, had secured a position was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he'd walked up to the judge and said, here I am. It would have been impressive heroics, wouldn't it? But if you're trying to grow spiritually, is impressive heroics what you're about? No, that's why you would humble yourself. That's why you met some other human being to share your burdens with. That's, you may want to consult somebody who has some lived experiences distant from it because there may be something short of self-surrender where no one wins. 
The past wife's getting nothing. The current wife's getting nothing. The employer who just put me to work's getting nothing. Does it make sense? Okay. There's another book that talks about that. You might want to do this on the way to the altar because if you don't do that, you're going to get what you get. Um, we thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did, and he also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try and do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Which of those things that he did in that approach do you think was most impactful? There's no, there's no wrong answer, but people talk about the money. They talk about whatever. I like you to look at the entirety of that as changed behavior. Here's some money. You didn't deserve what I did to you. Here's what I'm going to try and do in the future. And I did none of this to keep you from having me incarcerated. I'm ready to go if that's what you want. Some of you feeling that? Because that's subordinating now the ego and, and empowering the spirit. And it's a, it's a tangible sensory experience. You'll feel that. And then it says, of course, she did not. But understand, I call your attention to the experience of it versus the outcome of it. Because sometimes it doesn't go that way. Thank you, Sean. Come on. The online audience cannot hear you. Thank you. The whole, whole situation has long since been adjusted. There you go. Can I get an amen? My good friend Kevin, who left us last year, used to come into the church service and he would ask for an amen, and if you didn't give him one quick enough, he threw you one out of his pocket. Because I got a whole pocket full of them. He's still throwing them around here. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help and... Good, very good. And the drastic step is indicated we must not shrink. So see how they're talking about an improved consciousness of the power? I do need to do it. I lack the power. I'm going to ask for the power. Now I got to go. How many of you have known you had to do something? had to pray about it, stew about it, and then all of a sudden, out you went to do it. Okay, so that is a tangible sensory experience of accessing power greater than you operating through you. Does that make sense? We need you to know that because then you know prayer is real. You know what you're improving consciousness of. You know that, does it make sense? Okay, all right, so this brings to mind a story of one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as his basis for discrediting the man. So I always do this a little different, but basically this guy in the old days, the fellowships didn't all, they weren't all AAs. Some of them were Oxford groups and they didn't just sit with the, the drinkers. And the Oxford groups were about moral transformation. And they, they sat around and they studied biblical teaching and, and they encouraged one another and they went out and served. That's just what they did. And then as the AAs came around, some of them didn't want to do so much of that. And, of course, this thing evolved. And so they ended up in their own little subgroups, if that makes sense. But it was always about moral transformation because alcohol is just a symptom. 
Does it make sense? Cocaine's just a symptom. Heroin's just a symptom of an underlying malady. And you cannot solve a spiritual disorder without a superior spirit. Because the realm of the spirit requires a spirit to serve us. Okay? All right, so... So he said, he, he thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. So this guy was a churchgoer. This guy, while drinking, accepted some money for the church fund. Any of you ever accept any money while you're in your active addiction? Maybe buy a little building materials for a job you're going to do next week. And by the time it came time to do the job, there had been an evaporative problem with the money entrusted to you. So that's not a story we want to tell. There's a story to tell, but it's not one we want to tell. So we say, that fool's lying. He never gave it to me. That make sense? Because that's, that's what happened to this cat. All right. So he felt he'd done a wrong that he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? So there's a question mark there. So when that happens, it's time to go inward. Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. So how is he going to know the answers to those questions? He's going to have to consult the spirit. He didn't know all the people he defrauded. He stole the church fund and said someone else didn't give it to him. And he was, the church family was important to him. How many of you have been in your recovery family and stole the seventh tradition money? Where you at? Some of you aren't ready to cop to it yet, because I can't be the only somebody that's ever did that. <laughs> anyway, the point is it can drive you away from your fellowship if you allow it to. That, that whole idea can drive you away. So it says, what right had he to involve those dependent upon him? So we know the guiding principles, none without their permission. Yes? Okay. How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? Spirit's going to have to tell him that, right? Because he had no idea who's been affected. So here's what happens. After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. So he's going, if you never had a church family, those people can be a little scary, or rather their judgments can be a little scary, yes? And quite frankly, I've been in recovery and the church families, and so can... So can the recovery family be a little judgmental. Nonetheless, right, um, he saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands where he'd soon... That's really good. I'm going to slow down now that you guys are so on it. He, he had to place the outcome in... Power. Power's hands or he'd soon, st soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. So the Spirit says... He, intended, he attended church for the first time in many years. Think about that now. He's been sitting out there feeling guilty, can't go anywhere for comfort, isolated, and living in his thoughts, that hell in the mind. That I'm. Did any of you ever lived in the hell in the mind? That's what he's describing for us. So he attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. Do you think he felt quieted? Do you think he felt all the fear we would feel? They're talking about the tangible sensory experience of moving in a power greater than us operating within us. Does it make sense? His action met widespread approval. 
And today he's one of the most trusted citizens of his town. I call to your attention his demonstration was in spite of the fear, fearless. He experienced fear, but the power in him delivered him. And the thief of the church fund becomes the most trusted citizen of the town through the power of God and his testimony. Does that make sense? Some of you that read that other book know, right? <laughs> I love these cups, chap. You may not get them back. But... He told me, he, here's the story about the cups. We're sitting out there. We didn't know we were going to use the cups. His wife went to the store and got him a cup. Can I get her name in? But she told him about this one. And she said, I can't buy that for anyone. But my good friend, Chap, says, you could have bought that for Joe. <laughs> so she went back and she got that cup. And we were just talking about what we were going to talk about here tonight. And he says, I need to give you this cup. So before 30 minutes before we started, I'd never seen either one of these. And he said, he said that I could use this. And I, there you go. And that is a fact. So I now have both cups. This one is chaps. But interestingly enough, I can use either one. I <laughs> All right. So the chances are that we have domestic troubles, it says. How many of you have, can relate to having domestic troubles? Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if in this respect alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people, but drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. Where's my meth addicts? Complicated, huh? You're not even sure which home you're in, huh? I won't even go all the other things we're not sure what we're in, but... Uh, or who's in us. Um, my meth addicts know what I'm talking about. Gets confusing. After a few years with an alcoholic wife, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How many of you have found yourself living with a partner who became worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative? So that's an outside observation. Now, in order to get free of that, how could she be anything else? Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. Given what's been going on, given what's been coming home, given what's broken promises, you know, right? How could she be anything else? So, says the husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. So left to my own devices, I'll just simply start spinning it in my head until it's her fault for not celebrating my... And glad the wind stopped blowing. He commences to look around the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. How many of you have discovered that? Christie's Cabaret. <laughs> Sean's a fan of Christie's. We're going to look for a t-shirt from Christie's. Perhaps he's having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. Have any of you met him or her? The one who understands. Most of us have, right? In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? So it's not their level of understanding that's in question. It's about the destructive nature of what I'm doing in these people's lives, yes? 
So a man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who's literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. So that's what they figured out. They may stew in it in a minute, but I can't keep behaving like the old me without doing all the things I used to do to make it okay to be me, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. I can't, if I'm not radically changed from what I was, I return to what I know. Because that's all I know. And it's painful to be what I was. Okay. So if we're sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? (laughs) People are quick. How sure are we? How many of you have gotten a different answer than no? It happens. Okay, this is between you and the Spirit, is what I'm trying to point out. Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? How many of you have asked for detail, got the detail, wished you hadn't had so much detail? So that may not be a good thing. But whatever. It'll always make a good story from the podium. Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. How many of you have felt that you ought to say something or not say something but lack the power? So they're going to talk to you about, this isn't a book of rules. You're going to do what you do. Sometimes the biggest mistakes I made empower me to search deeper within to become a better version, right? So we're, we're sorry for what we've done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Now we're going to talk about the other experience I'm talking about. Though we, there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found this the best course to take. So the first course is the best course, but it's not the first one I take. Does that make sense? Any of you live by experience? Human beings can learn from the experience of others, but we're incredibly reluctant to do so. And particularly those of us with addictive disorders, because as the authors point out, the rest of the world, they're regular examples of self-will run riot. I'm an addict of the hopeless variety. I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot, and I don't think so. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so our design for living is not a one-way street. It's as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. How many of you, how many of you have made the mistake of telling a loved one how they ought to think and feel about your condition? We should never find ourselves in a position of telling people how they should think or feel. Because, quite frankly... Nobody wants to be told that. It does not help. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. So what happened to me, as as soon as they insisted on knowing all the particulars, I gave them all the particulars, and it ruined all the relationships. That's what happened. Not a good thing. So, but nonetheless, that's what happened. So it would have been better to do it the other way. But I lacked the power to do that. But I did get a new earnestness to do it different, if that makes any sense. Okay. That may not help the feelings of those I hurt. Remember when you do that to people, one of the things that we got to remember is it's not just the, 
the flesh doing something. We've stolen in the spirit. We've stolen hope and trust and faith. Those are hard to put back. Very hard to put back. And it's above our human experience to put it back. Okay. All right. So, um, so perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. So who's an outsider? Everyone but you and God. Everyone but you and power. You may get some advice, but you're going to have to... You're going to have to consult the Spirit. Okay? It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. How many of you have tried that? To work out a thing with somebody important to you and you both started agreeing to pray for the other one's happiness? It's not a bad practice. Because living in grievance is never good. Okay? Keep it always in sight that we're dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face-to-face combat. Guys, it comes back to they're still smarting from our injustice to them. So they need to see the change that we've experienced without us telling us what they should see. Because they just sometimes don't see that version of us that we're walking in. Sometimes we don't see. Have you ever noticed how other people that are not as attached to you notice how you're changed and call it to your attention? That's the beauty of faith without works is dead. It doesn't only benefit me proving the power to me through me. It's observable by others to see what God's doing in my life. Gives people hope. Okay? All right. So if we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. How many of you have heard that? You hear it a lot in fellowships, right? Fellowship isn't program. You've got to understand that. If, if sober is good enough for them, great. But spiritually free is what I've got to have. Otherwise, I will go find spirits. They have not quit making them. All right. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. Does that make any sense in light of your experience? How many of you got sober, stayed sober, and then went off the rails? Like, I'm doing good, I don't pick up no matter what. (laughs) Fucking Gumby. (laughs) People ask me, people used to ask me, Sean, what do you mean spun like a monkey? I'm going, well, yeah. I gotta quit being so animated in my advance. <laughs> All right. So, what did I do now? Oh, certainly he must keep sober, for there'll be no home if he doesn't. But he's yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he's so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. Is that true for you? Some of y'all had some family support or friends that kept coming back over and over and over. And Yeah, okay. So we got to kind of make that right if we can, yeah? The alcoholic's like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. 
Now listen to what the authors tell us so that we can help the next guy. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. It's not being rude. If they're being taught, because we just repeat what we hear, if they're being taught this is all about abstinence, here's my medallion, and they're still a raging whatever, then, dude, you're not thinking it through. This isn't about, this isn't about abstinence. I have proven I do not live well abstinent. What I do is I seek freedom and spiritual fitness. And in that, in my service, I experience a condition called spiritual inebriation. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That's why we serve. Okay? He's like the farmer who came out of the cyclone cellar to, tell, to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Now we go right back to the acknowledgement of what's in front of us. So, shit just got real. Yes, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead, and we must take the lead. I gotta own this. And yes, it's a long process, but I only have to do it one day at a time. And I'm gonna get free on the regular, right? Okay, so a remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. How many of you have gone home to family and everybody was hard to deal with and maybe they had their own stuff? Listen, that's a dynamic. We go back and we're changed and we're doing different and the family is not comfortable with us not being the reason for all their discomfort. They want to rail us back to our role. We teach the whole thing on family dynamics here so you don't... Don't go back too quick because they just want you back where you were. That doesn't mean we don't love them, but love them at a distance. Even Jesus didn't go in the grave. He called them out. Okay, so their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. Be shown the way. Ask to be shown the way. Okay? The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Over the years, we've got all these chants. Work it because you're worth it because you're... Dude, this ain't a cheer squad. I was dying out there. Spiritual life is not a theory. I have to live it. I have to serve in it. I got to serve when I don't want to. I got to endure crap that I'm pretty sure I got the worst assignment on the planet. And then one day I walk into this and I see a room full of people liberated by the God I serve. And I know that a hopeless drunk like me should have never got to see it. But we got to live it. All right, so unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters Claim this promise, they will change in time. I had a daughter that didn't speak to me for years. And I desperately wanted her to because I knew how bad her experience of me was. And Denise and I about, um, I don't know, middle of last month, went down and I performed the wedding ceremony for her. And she didn't change, her perspective of me changed. 
right? And I was changed. I didn't do anything. I just got yanked up. <laughs> okay. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them. If we can honestly say to ourselves that we would right them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases. But we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. Very good. We don't crawl before anyone. So they're only warning you that because sometimes people did us harm and we think when we go and admit our part that they're going to humiliate us. And what we learn in the process is, no, when I did that to you, which was acting out of character, I humiliated me. So I'm not there to erase their humiliation. I'm there to erase mine by taking the correct action and owning my part. Amen. And I don't have to hang my head to do that. Right? Okay. So then we're into the promises. I don't think I'm going to do them tonight, the ninth step promises, because we're going to look at them before we start the manner of living next week in 10 and 11, but we would be remiss. Amen. All right, man. Thanks. We'll see you next week.